Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Hello, my wild women. Debbie here with a quick announcement before we jump into today's episode. If you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And also, please follow us on our Facebook and Instagram pages. We will announce every week and remind you when a new episode drops, which is every Tuesday at 5 a.m. The reason I'm reminding you to do that this week is because next week, Sally and I are making a crazy exciting announcement, and I don't want you to miss it. So go right now, subscribe, and follow us on our social media pages, and you will be the first to know. Okay, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, Sally, so tell me a little bit about the way your family does Thanksgiving. Are you guys real traditional? Do you do the turkey thing? What does it look like in your house? We do do the turkey thing. My husband doesn't like turkey, so he keeps trying to get us to change. Like, let's just do steak or something that actually tastes good, but the kids won't go for it. Everybody feels like they need turkey on Thanksgiving. Do they really like turkey or is it just the love of tradition? I think it's the tradition. I don't like turkey. I don't mind dry, I guess, poultry or meats that that's okay, but my family doesn't like it. We do fry the turkey and that makes it taste better. That's generally what in mashed potatoes, that's all really most people care about are the mashed potatoes. Yes. The delicious side dishes and things. We've always, Thanksgiving is always a little different every year. We don't do the same thing. And a lot of times we've had years where, because my sisters both have in-laws in town and sometimes my parents have been out of town and we'll just have sort of a hodgepodge of people could be friends and whatever family is around. This year though, my, this middle sister, I'm the oldest, she offered to host. So I'm kind of we host a lot and I'm okay with that because you can take taxi over there. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoy the day without so much work. How about yeah, you? I, I usually host and it does put a little, because you have to prepare the space. Yeah. You know, so it's not just the food, it's the space, but I, I don't mind it. I like hosting because then I don't have to leave. So I'd rather host and not leave. And so I think, you know, this year I'm not hosting and I have to leave. It's funny you say that. I like hosting. And I'm fine with people being there a long time, but my husband wants people to leave at a certain time. (laughs) (laughs) And so he'd rather us not host that way he can leave. And we've gone to events where we take like four cars. So, and everybody can leave when they want to. (laughs) That's one thing I've just let go of because I like to stay, but everybody else has what they want to do, especially as the kids have gotten older. So sometimes (laughs) I'm like, I'll drive myself so I can leave when I want and nobody's bugging me. And the same with everybody else. That's brilliant. You know, just let go of the outcome and everybody do what you're happy with doing. And everybody's got a different capacity for the gathering, Mm -hmm. which can be intense. 
you know, so that that's a great idea. I'm sure that that's going to, that'll be exactly how it works in my family this year. Everybody, because I'm not hosting, mm-hmm. everybody's going to go in a different car and everybody's going to escape whenever their capacity has been reached. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is a lot of times we'll end up leaving at the same time anyway, but there's that, I don't know, comfort of knowing that you can leave if you want yep. to. Just knowing that you have the freedom. It's a freedom thing. It's a freedom check. I love that. Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk about how we can work through the holidays and grief at the same time. We've got some real tried and true help for you to make sure that you make the most of your time with your family and friends, even if you're still going through grief. I've mentioned more than a few times about my mom and my brother have passed, lost both of them, but Last year, it was last year on Thanksgiving that we lost my mom. One thing I learned when my brother passed was he was real adamant about everybody choosing joy after he was gone. And he passed away from lung cancer. So there was a lot of really sweet time to get those last conversations in. And he really was pushing the whole, please choose joy. I know that there's going to be sorrow, but just choose joy. And so he passed away on September 11th, 2018. And that Thanksgiving was heavy. You know, all of us were together. He was a very strong presence. And that Thanksgiving, there's a lot of pictures of our family smiling and laughing and celebrating. And in in some of the captions, I needed to remind people that these people that are smiling also have a great deal of loss in their heart. I mean, we felt it, his strong presence, you know, it was was so quiet (laughs) without him. And even so though, he commanded that of us that we choose joy. So it really was one of those, okay, we're going to do this because he told us to, like he commanded us to, and we will, we will smile. We will have joy. We're going to celebrate and we're going to remember at the same time. And so that was kind of a learning thing for me that really sorrow and joy can be in the same moments at the same time. Like it defies logic kind of, and it sounds like that can't happen, but it really can just knowing that you can have both emotions present at the same time. Yeah. One of the ways, and I imagine you told a lot of stories. I think one of the things I've learned about walking through grief that can be healing is sharing stories about that person. I remember being at my father-in-law's funeral and we learned more, even my husband learned more about him in those days where we were visiting so many family and friends that came into town. And it was like, we got to know his dad on a different level (laughs) than we had before. But there was a lot of laughter in the stories and of course tears, but I think there's some of that that comes Sometimes you just have to laugh too, but there are, when you're thinking of memories, it does bring joy in the sadness. It does. And I think it's what makes it so therapeutic to hear other people talk about the family members or the friends that have gone before us is you don't really know what people think about you on those deeper levels or how somebody's impacted your life, you know? And then when those stories come out, you can really hear sides, things that you don't think about all the time. I got, I heard a lot of stories about how my brother impacted other people's lives that I didn't know about Yeah, about yeah. things that he's done. And because I mean, he's not going to walk around constantly telling the stories of things he's done, you know, so hearing it from the people that he has impacted, that was amazing. It is very healing. It's very therapeutic. 
mm -hmm. to hear this story. Um, and so last Thanksgiving, I hosted. And it was last Thanksgiving that we found out on Thanksgiving uh, that my mom was not well. She had canceled attending Thanksgiving. We knew she wasn't well, but she actually entered into the hospital on Thanksgiving and uh, she passed away on the 28th of November last year. So knowing that um, everything about this year needed to be different because being in my home, me hosting was just going to be a massive trigger point. It was going to be a ditto like last year. We just didn't, I didn't want to do that. I was really sensitive to where everybody else is in their grieving. And because every, it is so unique. Grieving is a unique thing for each individual. Nobody does it the same way. We all have different minds. And we all go through it in a different pace and recognizing that others are still grieving and they're, uh, everybody's in a unique place with that. I wanted to be really sensitive to triggers. So part of, you know, thinking about plans this year was really kind of being sensitive to and taking account of where is everybody on this and what can we do to increase the joy and lessen the sting a little bit. Yeah. What do you think as you talk about doing something different this Thanksgiving? I have several friends that I've seen instead of maybe trying to create something new and new traditions and new ways of doing things, they're stuck in what was. And when that person is gone and those traditions are gone, they just dread the holiday mm -hmm. rather than trying to find joy in a new way. And I have one friend, she's gone years hating all holidays. And it makes me sad for her because she has a family and she has a lot of things that could be positive, but has chosen to just survive them mm -hmm. rather than thrive in them and mm -hmm. try to create something new. And I guess, what would you say if I could give advice to anybody out there that's stuck in that is don't forget the family you have left. You know, you can create something with and learn to enjoy in a new way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard two questions there, really. Um, you know, what can we do to, to lessen the load, the burden? Like it, it shouldn't feel like a burden all the way. You know, it is a little bit. It is a labor of love for yeah. those that are going to prepare the meal, prepare the space, all the things. But it should be a labor of love. It should be rooted in love. And when we go into it with just heaviness and dread, that, that is a mind sh mindset shift that has to happen. And I can't say that I'm not guilty. I, I'm guilty of surviving the holidays for years. And this year, I wanted to do it different. I wanted to experience it different. Um, not just because of the grief of mom, but sometimes just the whole family getting together is really stressful. You have so many different ideas and so many different belief systems and values coming together at the same table. And you're just kind of walking on eggshells, hope uncle Jed doesn't bring up politics. Hope Aunt Rita doesn't bring up religion. You know, you're just kind of like, oh, how do we manage this? How do, please, God, don't let there be a, <laughs> an upheaval, you know? So even just when there's normal tension, I think you have to just shift your mindset. And one of the things I wanted to bring up in this was the video that you shared on our private group, the TED Talk with Michael Brody or Brady. And it just sounds like it's really off topic and doesn't connect, but it's um, the tricks of an addict, the three core principles that they live by. And I think that these shouldn't be for, they shouldn't hold them for addicts. They should hold them for everybody. <laughs> this should be taught in elementary school. The first one is to be authentic, honest, 
Second one is to surrender the outcome, let it go. We can't control every outcome. And the third is to do the uncomfortable work, right? And so the first one I would say is, like, I had to work through it this year. Initially, when it came to Thanksgiving, I think my initial thought, I'll admit, was I just am not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. And maybe it'll just go away. <laughs> but then I heard my mom whisper, you better get this family together for Thanksgiving. That was so important to her. It was so important to her. So hearing her, I was like, I have to do this, you know, and then I could hear that TED talk about being honest and surrendering the outcome. And the minute I really think about surrendering the outcome, look, if Uncle Jed brings it up and an upheaval starts, it's going to be memorable. <laughs> Let it happen. It's only a couple of weeks after the election. <laughs> right. And if Aunt Rita brings up religion and somebody gets offended, you know, let it happen. Sometimes it's those things that make it memorable. Even if it is not how you want it to go, it's going to be memorable. Just surrender the outcome. That really freed me up to, to approach the whole thing differently and to just open the doors wide open of let the offenses lay down. Let the offenses of everything that's happened this year and everybody's hurt feelings and everybody's opinions about each other, just lay them down and bring, let's all come to the table just for a meal and let whatever's going to happen, happen, bring all the personalities together. And let's just see, it's like, it kind of feels like a dog park. You never know, you know, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. There could be just that one dog that gets tweaked, <laughs> changes the whole atmosphere. Somebody's going to get bit. <laughs> uh, and then serve up pie, you know. <laughs> out the tree. <laughs> the second thing was I felt like I needed to do my own work and that was the part three of the principle was do the uncomfortable work and the uncomfortable work for me was really dealing with my own head stuff. What was it? I had to pose that question to myself. What is it that is causing me to resist this the most? It's causing me the most stress or that I'm so concerned about. What am I really running from here? I think once you can really come to terms with that and you realize that's your stuff. And you really don't have to bring it to Thanksgiving. You don't have to. You can choose not to. You can choose how you want to react. You can play out scenarios in your head of possible offenses and conversations. If you have a particular person that you're not looking forward to seeing, you can play out scenarios in your head, prepare yourself so you can have the response that you want to. When you, you know, I, don't, I want to walk away feeling dignified and not have regrets. I don't want to hurt anybody. And if there's a trigger. I don't, I don't want to be controlled by my triggers. You know? So my own head trash, my own stuff, I needed to own all of that. And that's just the uncomfortable work that we need to do to prepare for coming together at the table. That's one of the things I've learned that is so helpful is being able to practice almost a response. If there is a particular person, a relative that you know, every time you get together, they say something that's going to trigger you in some way is, and this was something I learned in some counseling classes and coaching myself, my own coaching is just to really play through that scenario and come up with how do I want to show up in that moment? Do I want to bring my best self or do I want to bring my triggered self? And uh, yeah how have I showed up in the past and what could I do differently this time? And, and to let go of 
their reaction because that's one thing I've really had to learn through recovery in Al-Anon is I'm not responsible for other people's behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't have to let that upset me. They If they act like a crazy person or an idiot or a mean person, that's mm-hmm. not my responsibility. That's right. I'm responsibility for my, I'm only responsible for my actions. Yeah. And how I respond. You're right. And I'll give another tip on this too. Uh, one of my brothers is a great manager. He knows how to work a table. It's his gifting to be around a bunch of CEOs and doing his thing and, and managing conversation. He can keep the conversation going. He can um, pivot and change the topics pretty easily. And, you know, when something starts getting tense, he'll throw in something else and just totally turn the conversation to something else. Great at it. So if you have one of those in your family, call them up, put them on notice. <laughs> That's one thing you can do. Look, I'm a little concerned that this issue is still brewing between these two people or me and this person. And can you help me try to manage that a little bit? That's another tip too, as I would say, if you're blessed enough to have one of those family managers. <laughs> um, my brother Russell was really good at that. And that's one of the things that we, that was one of the losses when he left is that um, we have to fill that gap. Who's going to take that gap and really manage the family well. And it has to be somebody that's just a big presence, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have somebody like that, employ them. (laughs) That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that we decided to do different as well, that I thought would break up the opportunity for tension to build is we're going to bring in games this year and we're going to do things a little different. We decided to do it. um, We're not going to do turkey unless somebody brings it because we're doing it potluck style. So everybody's going to, you know, we're going to spread the burden out. So everybody's going to do something a little different, bring their own thing and we're doing games. So we're really going to turn this into a party. Normally for us, we do the gluttonous meal. Then there's usually ball game on they're sitting around, there's lots of conversation and idle time. We're not going to allow for idle time this time. We're going to make opportunities for people that don't want to sit around and engage one-on-one with intense conversation. There's going to be lots of game opportunities. And I think it's beautiful when you can employ the teenagers. Last year, the teenagers rose up. You know, all the adults were feeling it a lot more than the teenagers. The holidays last year were very difficult. And the teenagers rose up. And they became the jovial ones and they became the ones that brought in all the laughter and the humor and the sarcasm. And I would say that they are, um, they are rightly trained for such a time as this. So I'm going to employ all the teenagers. They're ready to start having a big impact on the family. Show up at the table. This is your assignment. This is your game. This is your game. (laughs) Let's do this. I think that's a great idea. One of the games we've had fun playing is Jackbox. Have you ever heard of those games? Mm-hmm. They're actually online. So my daughter, we used to have them on this fire stick, but now she has them on her Nintendo Switch. But you put it up on the TV screen and everybody uses their phone as you answer questions. And then they have different kinds of games. One that we love is called Quiplash. And everybody will answer a question like, if there's 10 people playing, They'll have like five different questions or scenarios. My dog does blank after he comes in the house. And then every you fill in your answer. Or my sister-in-law said, 
blank after her mother walked in the door. <laughs> you know, like people give their answers. And then when the question comes up on the TV screen, everyone just votes on their favorite answer. So there's no right or wrong. And usually if it's funny, whether it's the best answer or not, that's going to get voted on. And so we'll come up with just silly things. And But everybody enjoys playing that. And if you have more people, I think eight people can play, then you can have the audience. And the audience can vote on their favorite answers. So it can be okay. the whole group playing at a time. And you can take turns who actually gets to play the game and who's in the audience. But that's been a fun game that the kids love to play and the adults have fun too. But see, I love that because I'm picturing that as you're telling me, you know, now everybody's attention is on this game and filling in the blanks and wanting to be funny. Mm -hmm. And and then you got the voting, so everybody's interacting. So I'm thinking that's really how it works is we're trying to redirect energy. So, you know, there's going to be folks that just, they don't want to play, but they can observe and they can be part of the humor. And maybe they want to be off in the background, having their conversations and talking about the you know, the politics and the religion, and they can go do that. They can choose that. But for those of us that don't want to, we have a new place to set our mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that. I don't know why we haven't done this all along. The kids might know about it. Your kids, they may have played before or know at least about it, but it's fun. And they have different kinds of games, but they're all interactive like that on the TV, which is fun because that gets the kids, they're still on their phones, but they're playing a game <laughs> with the rest of the group. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, the games that we, I had put out is like, um, have you seen like the human, <laughs> I don't know how much in, uh, participation I'm going to get on this, but it's like the human uh, hungry hippos. We have like the slide. <laughs> I saw, I think something about that on uh, TikTok or somewhere. Oh yeah. I think <laughs> there was. Some I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You have those little like carpet dolly sliders uh -huh. and you can slide people in and out. And I just think that would be so funny. I would be funny. <laughs> We're going to need chiropractors after this. <laughs> It'll all be worth it. Anything for a good laugh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think um, one of the things that we also wanted to talk about is like accepting what is normal. And when it comes to like carrying grief, and joy at the same time. Sometimes we we get like, oh, this isn't right. We have to change. But you can really carry it and just know that it's normal. And uh, being patient with yourself, that you don't have to change where you are. You don't have to like suddenly be something you're not. Just owning where you are and acceptance. So I did a survey the other day on social media about what is the hardest part about moving on. And I had four answers. Um, and some of the answers were like uh, forgiveness, because sometimes it's not a loss, but, you know, a, an offense. Forgiveness, um, believing that there's a future that is better. Um, and then the one answer that won was acceptance, just acceptance. The hardest part about moving on is acceptance. Not just acceptance that something's happened, but just accept where you are in the grief timeline. And don't try to make that anything other than what it is. Just own it and say, okay, I'm still in this place. I don't have to fake it, but I can also give myself permission to celebrate and feel joy. And in certain circumstances, I think there's been some folks that I have coached that feel like they cannot allow themselves to have joy because it comes with guilt. So have you ever experienced that with a client where they feel like smiling and laughing and experiencing anything good comes with guilt. Yes. And it's normal to feel some guilt in different parts of grief because we are sad. We miss this person or we miss this stage of life. It, it's 
you know, it's not just a loss of a life, but it can be, I was talking about even my daughter's going to college. It's a loss of a stage of life that I've enjoyed for 18, 22, well, more than that, like 22 years. And now we're in this new stage and it's a, it's a positive thing for them. And for us, that's the way life is supposed to go. But there is a, I've had to work through a grieving process of change, (laughs) things being different. Mm -hmm. And, and there is some guilt, like at times, like being glad they're out of the house. (laughs) I I feel a little guilty about that sometimes. And then, but I miss them at the same time. Mm -hmm. there's it's just back and forth and that's normal I think being patient we talked about you talked about being patient it just takes time to process whatever the loss is and some losses are going to take longer than others especially if their death is what feels like a more permanent loss even like the loss of our cat Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I don't know if I shared this or not I was doing okay when the girls both left Anna overseas and Lily for school. Sean and I took a trip to Florida and it was great. And we had so much fun. And I was like, you know, I think we're going to be okay. We got home and we had to put our cat down a couple of days later. And he was our favorite pet. Wow. He was just this precious cat. And that was unexpected. I'm not going to cry talking about it. <laughs> and, but it brought on all the other things I was grieving the loss of our having to give up our dog that um, he started biting people. And so we had to rehome him because we couldn't have our house is too busy to have a big dog that bites people. And that was a big loss. And then just both girls leaving and then the cat, it was like, it all kind of culminated into this. I don't know. It just brought up all the grief that we had maybe been feeling a little bit but now we're feeling it much more. You know, the cat was a permanent loss. Everybody else is okay and doing well. They're just not with us. Right, that's just change. Yeah, and so really for a few weeks, there were days my husband and I was like, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, we just didn't know what to do with ourselves and it felt very lonely and quiet. And I don't know, it was that period of time and we're doing better now it's been a little over a month since we lost the cat and I feel like we're adjusting but the house is still very lonely Mm -hmm. and something like that will trigger um, grief is not just one thing that's what I learned through this process is that one grief or event may bring up a lot of other events that haven't been fully processed (laughs) and you feel a lot of it at the same time Mm-hmm. Kind of opens a floodgate. Yeah, a little bit. And there's something about those animals. Oh my goodness, they attach to a different nerve in your heart. <laughs> they do. And I never thought I would love a cat so much. We had ten people come over to our house to say goodbye to that cat. Oh, like he—he he was a loved cat in our neighborhood. <laughs> oh, that's precious. It was. Some of the action steps that you have here, I think are so good about how to battle the grief a little bit during this time. Um, Let's jump into letting others comfort you and share in your journey toward healing. That is one, for some reason, a lot of us naturally isolate and we push others away. It's almost like there's a part of us 
that wants to punish ourselves. Because I think instinctively we know that other being around others is going to take us out of our feelings a little bit and it's going to keep us from dwelling and going down the cycle, just spiraling down. But we resist that. We resist being with others and and letting others comfort us. Mm -hmm. That's probably from scars of rejection or trust. But I think your idea to let others know what you're going through and what you're experiencing and how you're feeling and allowing them to comfort us. That's a, that's a big one. That's something I've learned through experience. And like I was just saying, having all these people come over to say goodbye to the cat, that was healing from us. That part, sharing that with other people. I'm still getting teary. <laughs> I'm still grieving. Um, I understand. But that the unfun is that was, it was meaningful. And also I learned at my, I mentioned my father-in-law's funeral. That experience changed everything about my mindset when it came to funerals and death, because I avoided them like the play before that. But being at that funeral, I learned so much about the people who were there. And we had, Sean, had a lot of good friends and family friends and people showed up from all over the country. Every one of his friends that he was close to came. And there was one guy who just came and he, we were at, we were staying at Sean's sister's house for the week. And this one guy would just come over every day and he was watching baseball and he was just there. He didn't really say anything or do anything. He was just there for the whole week. And I was like, it was nice having him there. And it wasn't like he, he didn't try to do anything or say anything. He was just there. And it was like, oh, that's a really nice thing to have somebody there. And other people just handing you food because you forget to eat. You know, there were people that just knew they were good at, I don't know, that situation. And I, I learned, okay, just be there. I don't have to do, I think part of it is like not knowing what to say or what to do or how to handle it. But I've learned just being present is enough. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was such a learning experience. And I've changed my whole attitude when it comes to funerals and friends or family members I know who are going through that. Just show up. Yeah. Don't worry about me so much. <laughs> just being there hand them a drink or a food you know something to eat you're reminding me of that quote that's I don't I don't remember who said it maybe I can find it but it was a quote that says uh, the true the true heroes are the ones that can walk through fire and come out the other side carrying buckets of water for the others and I think that's what you're talking about when you when you show up for someone else and not there to fix or solve but you're just present yeah but, that you're like the water on the fire for them. And I think that's what makes it so tender when we talk about how others respond and comfort us. Uh, there's a tenderness in that too. That's what makes me crack. I can keep my composure until somebody hugs me. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when I fall apart or I can keep my composure and I can keep my uh, sternness about myself until somebody looks me in the eyes, you know, and that's when I, Whew, that's when I lose it. It's that connection. What were you saying that um, 
about or authentic connection. One of the terms I saw was we were talking about resisting being isolated when you're grieving because that's kind of our natural a lot of people's natural inclination is to isolate to not share that with others but instead it's important to seek meaningful connection and I love that because when I've been working in the recovery field we talk a lot about how the opposite of addiction is not sobriety but it's meaningful connection and so, you know, when we are grieving, that's a hard time. And we are vulnerable to numbing our grief with choices that could lead to a problem for us. May not lead to addiction, but we can definitely overeat, oversleep, over drink, or over binge watch TV. That would be my go-to probably. Um, just all those indulgences to ignore the pain to numb the pain mm -hmm. and seeking out meaningful connection is a good safeguard <laughs> it's going to be healthy it might fill us up it'll strengthen and heal us more than those other numbing things and that does it you know in moderation those things are okay <laughs> sometimes you do need to turn off your brain and just watch some mindless tv but you probably don't need to watch, you know, 50 hours of mindless TV. <laughs> Take breaks. <laughs> In one week. <laughs> so I think it's, but seeking that meaningful connection. So, and that's seeking the people that are really going to, like I said, the people who are just there and meeting maybe just your basic needs and not trying to fix you, allowing you to sit in your grief where we can, we don't want people who are trying to, oh, it's, it's okay. It, it's all going to be better. You know, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily what we need to hear in those moments. Mm -hmm. We need to be allowed to feel the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of like how to prepare yourself for the, the holidays coming up, this is things that you can do now leading up to to strengthen yourself to be around an entire family so if something had an event has happened very recently or if the wound is still very open to strengthen yourself to be prepared to be around a full family gathering these are the things that you can do like try we, we got to stop isolating we got to allow others to comfort us that comfort us because it is going to strengthen you then we talked about self-care blocking and this would be part of it is like blocking off time before and after the event, the, the family gatherings or the things that are going to kind of drain us a little bit or um, be a little stressful for us is being aware that we're probably going to need some time before and after. And, and on my calendar, I literally block them off. And the only thing I will say yes to on those calendar days are the things that will revitalize me, refuel me. And for each of us, that's different. Sometimes that is alone time. For me, that means I'm only going to hang out with my friends <laughs> during that time. Or I'm, you know, arts and crafts are a big thing for me. I love doing a craft. That's very therapeutic for me. So I, I'm probably going to do a project before just so I have something, an unfinished project for me that I start before. And I know that it's going to be waiting for me. I have something to look forward to when I get home. <laughs> something that like during the winter, I like to crochet. Um, or paint or draw or doodle, whatever. But I, for me, 
I know what a baseline is of what fills me up and what doesn't, what drains me. And so I avoid before and after, I avoid the things that drain me just so I can just get back up to level. And I honestly think that those are the things that bring down our physical immune system. Mm-hmm. So for me, like I kind of, I kind of pull away a little bit. We all kind of, I think, pull away a little bit during the winter because we don't want to be sick on Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? So we're just not going to blow it out all the time. I do kind of pull away. <laughs> I just don't want to get too much exposure because I don't like being sick on the holidays. And when you're stressing, that lowers your immunity. So self-care blocking on your calendar. I think that's super important. I love that. And I would add even on that, if you are still in a place where being in a group of people, especially family, some people, I love being in my family, my big family. And I enjoy that. And we've always had fun at holidays, but my husband is not, he didn't grow up that way. He had big family gatherings, but there was a lot of stress and it was not the same. And so holidays for him, he has a different mindset and he's tried hard, but I've learned to just let him be him on those days and not try to force him into my mold that I've grown up with. We're different. Like you said, I think those blocking times are good and giving other people an out, like we might drive separate cars on Thanksgiving (laughs) and that's okay. And I used to be bothered by that. Like, I felt like we all had to be together as a family and all that, but it's okay if we want different things on that day and we're okay with that. He's fine if I want to stay longer. He needs more alone time than I do. That is such a loving, kind way to give each other what you want. Mm -hmm. And there's, I think that's just so sweet. It's so subtle and so simple, just accepting the differences and, and being good with what you want and what you need. It's love and it's in action right there. Our whole family is pretty centered on the introvert extrovert scale a little bit. And he's a little bit more, I would say, even though he can be the life of the party. So you might think he's extroverted, but he's not. He's probably more introverted than I am, even though I'm not going to be the life of the party. He gets drained. I guess that's the way to say it. He gets drained faster than I do. That's good that you guys are aware of that. And And that's just like acceptance, you know, that's just the way we are. We're different and that's okay. There was a quote that you wanted to talk about, and this leads into it because we're talking about acceptance um, and how we kind of think of acceptance as part of, it is part of the grieving scale, which is not linear. You started to say that before is like, don't think of grieving as linear. Like you graduate from one phase to another. It goes back and forth for a long time. I think I had somebody tell me that a long time ago, and I've always heard, you know, held on to that truth that grieving has different phases, but you're going to visit each one of those rooms often, right? Feel like one room is done. Right. Um, and that, that does kind of free you up just to let grief be what it is. Um, there's one, you know, some days I can just feel nothing but love and joy about my mom's life. And there are some days when I'm a complete train wreck about it mm-hmm. and it's just back and forth. I think I've accepted one day and the next day I'm raging against it. Mm-hmm. We kind of think of acceptance as like a point of graduation. And I don't, I don't think that's what it is at all. So you want to talk about that quote? Yeah, we were talking and one of the, I think, neatest things I've read on grief is by, it was in a book I was reading that Beth Moore wrote. She says, when death of some kind comes and we are willing to take it to the cross, to remain nearby 
and to suffer its grief, we will also experience the resurrection. We say, part of me has died with it, and indeed it has. Hear the words of Christ echo from the grave. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. As a child bearing the name of Christ, if a part of you has died in time, it was meant to produce many seeds. Oh, beloved, don't give up. And then the next parent, I love just that part, but she goes on to say, we hear so much talk about the phases of grief, the shock, the anger, often depression, and finally acceptance. We're led to believe that acceptance of death is the final stage of grief. But if we are in Christ, the final stage has not come until we've allowed God to bring forth resurrection life and many seeds from the kernel of wheat that fell to the ground. Yes, we have come to acceptance, but not just acceptance of the death, acceptance of the resurrection life. Don't stop until you experience it. And I thought that was, I'd never heard that before. I'd always heard it stop at acceptance, but I love the idea of the resurrection that something don't let it just die like even with this thanksgiving and your mom he almost wanted to let that tradition die with her but instead you can bring to life this gathering and continue it in a way that's beautiful and meaningful and hopefully in the future more and more and maybe maybe there'll be some resurrection life that comes out of continuing that in different ways and i think seeing loss again even the loss of you know I, I mean I would really hope in this case my girls growing up and moving out that's that's a loss but I'd like to see definitely life come out of that for them a greater life a productive life that's each loss can have a different kind of light resurrection life come out of it mm -hmm. that produces more than was there before if I kept yeah. them all with me all the time that would not produce more <laughs> That would hinder their growth. And that's, it's seasonal. Yeah. It's seasonal. And uh, to, to let something just go, like you said, that's an option. I could have done that. And I was tempted to do that is to just let it go. And my family would just kind of, they'd probably go to the other sides, the married sides or whatever, the in-laws and our core little family tree would just dwindle. That's an option. Um, what I think and hope as you're saying that what comes out of that is that as long as we keep coming together is that the next generation will value the family tree yeah. will value the coming together um, regardless of how uncomfortable it is regardless of how much of a labor of love it is regardless of how much you have to do the uncomfortable work and be honest and surrender the outcome mm -hmm. <laughs> regardless it is valuable and it's necessary and you know hearing my mom in the back of my head is certainly an influence as well <laughs> <laughs> I love that analogy and I use it a lot. I've used it in my previous episode about um, my programs is that the, the growing season, like I just pulled all those um, flowers out of the ground that were done, but there's so many seeds that are there and in, in good season, they will come again and it'll be exponentially even more. Eventually your girls are going to come back with somebody and eventually your girls are going to bear their own fruit <laughs> and your tree is going to continue to grow eventually that will happen mm -hmm. i mean most likely right and that's We're the fruit. <laughs> let's just keep coming together it is better yeah. together even if it's uncomfortable <laughs> i like that
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild.